That was amazing. What a play. That's exactly what he needed. Ooh, is it getting hot in here or what? This is genius. He created another card on the stack. Oh, wow. He's been what given a good game. game. That trophy is up for grabs. Magic does not get better than this. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Desk After Dark, episode three live and in person. Maria Bartholdi joined by Monty Davuti and our very special guest, coverage legend, pro tour historian, Brian David Marshall. Hi, Brian. Hey. We're so excited to talk with you all about coverage, about the behind the scenes life of coverage coming off of pro tour March of the Machine a few weekends ago. Starting things off, Monty, how you doing? I'm doing good. This was, again, in my opinion, the best show uh, we've ever put out there, certainly. But I think just general consensus, one of the best pro tour coverages ever put out there. Just from a production point of view, I'm not trying to toot our own horn like we did amazing but like it was a really good show for the people watching at home and the outcome was pretty spectacular as well yeah it was a super exciting tournament and we did again up the game a lot i think when it comes to coverage so on this episode we are going to talk a lot about pro tour march of the machine everything that went down there including the absolute historic win by nathan stoyer but we're also going to take this opportunity everybody to talk to brian david marshall about your career in coverage. And of course, we're recording this right after the Pro Tour and MagicCon Minneapolis. So Brian, I've got to ask you, how are you doing after a weekend full of magic? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling great. I, I had a, a fun time. I got to see, you know, people that I, I really adore. I got to hang out with a ton of different magic players. I got to witness all these different communities that evolve around magic, which is the thing that's always attracted me to so the true. game. You know, um, you know, we talk a lot about social play, like even competitive play is under the umbrella of social play, right? Like that competitive community, but, you know, watching people cube and watching people who are playing like Dan Dan and watching people who are just playing all these, you know, Oathbreaker and all these different kinds of formats and, um, and, and seeing how people get to connect in person at MagicCon, right? Like this, this thing that, you know, we've always had this pro tour and that's great, but it really only serves a small segment of the magic population, right? So magic, the magic convention is just like amazing because yeah. it just lets everybody just let their flag fly, right? They Absolutely. just get to do whatever, whatever it is they do in magic, whatever narrow format they play, vintage illustrator, you know, uh, constructed where you can only play pre-DH, <laughs> EDH boxing league, uh, any, any of those things. Uh, it lets people do that. So it was, it was super cool. I got to watch people doing things they love, which is really just kind of like a summary of my magic career. So we're going to kick off the episode today by talking to BDM about your life and experience in coverage. So Monty, where do you want to start? Uh, I think I just really want to know, tell us your journey, how you first got into magic coverage and all the roles you played <laughs> while you were part of magic coverage, because I know there's a lot of it. And for a lot of people, it, they don't really know what happens behind the scenes. So right now, for example, Rich Hagen, he's still our producer, but right. a lot of people, he's not camera facing, so they don't even know that he's involved with the shows. So I think it would be interesting to know exactly what all the things that you have done with magic coverage over the years have been. Sure. Um, so uh, when I 
was first, the first thing I was really involved doing with magic was, was running a store and running magic conventions of my own, right? Like, uh, we, we, you know, had a company called gray matter, had a store called neutral ground in New York and did that until like the early ish two thousands. Um, and after nine 11, um, the store was really falling on hard times. People were, um, less willing to come into Manhattan, you know, and people would come in from Philadelphia and people would come in, you know, so it, it changed and it became a little more difficult. And, you know, it was a, a recovery project. I mean, you kind of have a glimpse of that here in, in Minneapolis, like obviously a different kind of event that happened, but, you know, still you see, you know, you need to build the community back up. And I, at, and, and I was at a crossroads and I was like, I, I don't think I want to I don't want to be the one who does that. I want neutral ground to be here, but I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. I want to get back to being creative. And um, no, and, and and so I started writing comics again. And uh, when I started writing comics and announced that I was I was leaving neutral ground, um, Aaron Forsyth reached out to me and asked me to do some writing for the Wizards website daily that was starting up this new site called DailyMTG.com, and. Um, and at the time, I was also qualified for a couple of pro tours uh, through teams. I had had a, like a top 16 finish at Pro Tour New York 2001, literally a day, two days before 9-11. Like 9-9 uh, nine, nine was the day, you know, we, we finished like top, my team finished top 16. So, you know, had a, had a, and, and had a bunch of invites that, um, ratings invites that carried over for multiple years in team pro tours <laughs> off of that. And so being a team pro tour, starting to write for the Wizards website, I was like this warm body as they got to the top eight at a pro tour. And they're like, and again, coverage back then was almost exclusively text. And there would be video, right? Randy and Brian Kibler or Randy and, uh, you know, Chris Bakula or whoever else, you know, and they would do the the top eight. Um, but they would always need people to fill in to, to do text now because people who are doing text coverage are now in the, in the booth on Sunday. So I, uh, I got to cover some matches at uh, Pro Tour Boston and Pro Tour Chicago or events that I was just at. I have a question, though. Um, where did people watch this stuff, right? If they're doing video coverage of this, this is before the days of Twitch. How did people view the content you were making? So they were downloadable files. They were they were like, I guess, QuickTime or whatever it was yeah, at sure, the time. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. this like before the ESPN2 era? Like that was a thing for a while, right? Wizards was already doing top eight coverage before ESPN. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have video coverage from Pro Tour 1, right? Right. You know, there's 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 footage from that. Something was being filmed. Yeah. So they were putting it somewhere, right? And like two days later or whatever, however long it took, you could download it. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah, it was like desktop download and... But uh, but most most coverage back then was text, and right. like if you went to a Grand Prix, um, it was all text. And then of course they invented the camera, which was a real game changer. <laughs> <laughs> Rashad Miller single handedly invented the camera. Yeah. I mean he 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 changed the face of coverage right. with what he was doing. Like the idea that you could just be like in a spot all weekend long, and people are playing magic, and we could show it to you even if it's not a top eight. That was. That was a pretty like disruptive moment in terms of how people wanted to consume their magic content. You know, uh, Rashad Rashad really had a vision there that uh, seems obvious in hindsight, right? It's like like I, I I invented tournament centers, right? Like we we had a store 
and it was a place where you could go play games. But before that, game stores were places where you could lay a piece of cardboard over some comic book boxes and six people could maybe play magic. You know what I mean? Like the idea of a tournament center was, was something we just take for granted now. Same, same thing with video coverage. It, it was, it was, it was, there were so many hoops to jump through and you just got a tiny little bit of it. Yeah. It's wild because looking back on it, you know, it seems so obvious to do coverage of your big events. Seems obvious. Have a game center or a tournament center in your game store. Seems so obvious, but, right? But what's weird about that for me is I miss that extensive text coverage. Mm. I really miss, because, so, you know, as, as the Pro Tour historian, not to jump around on my resume a little here, um, you know, I would have to put together a lot of, like, overviews of people's careers and, you know, or doing the column for, for Wizards for so many years. And you can't really Google search video that easily. So, so there's something about that, that era of text coverage where you were just able to, like, find every instance where Monty and Maria played each other at a GP. I, I feel like something did get lost. It was more archivable. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something, some, some sense of history got lost with video, even though video is in a lot of ways, you know, a lot more impactful. Right. So how did it evolve from there? So from, from there, I, you know, you know, I think I was a pretty, a reasonably spiky magic player. And, uh, was able to sort of convey a certain amount of detail and weight to what people were doing. And I knew a lot of people, right? That's always been kind of the thing. I, I knew who all, all the people were and uh, knew a lot of people who, who weren't necessarily at the top level, but I knew people who would go to the PTQ circuits. And um, I just kept getting asked back to, to, to do um, text coverage. And um, at some point uh, I got asked to, do some stuff on the booth on Sunday, which I just didn't want to do. And I handed the job off to multiple other Why people. Why didn't you want to do it? Uh, terrified of public speaking. Not a joke. Hard to imagine <laughs> terrified. now. Terrified. So I didn't really want to do it. Uh, and, you know, got my friend Mike Flores to take the role for a little while. And I, But but eventually uh, there was just a window where, where I did it. I think it was uh, Japanese Pro Tour. And uh, it was it was super cool. It was really fun. Had a great moment with Frank Karsten and Terry So, where there was like a bluff, but maybe it was a double bluff. And I'm like, is it a double bluff? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what the hell happened. But you know, it was fun, and people seemed to like it. And I kept getting asked back to do that, and then, uh, you know, continued to 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 do that work eventually was also doing that thing where we were writing and then doing video. And at some point I was like, hey, can't we make these things that, about people's decks? Like, people love deck lists. Can we can we show people's decks on well, camera? Wow. Yeah. And so that became like, oh, you know, we're not writing anymore. Right? We're not writing articles anymore during the day. Yeah. We're going to, we're, we're going to actually, those. we're going to record deck techs. We're going to record interviews with players. And... And, and by the way, when we started doing that, those were also downloadable. You could decompress them Amazing. and watch them. And we, and we realized that you could, you know, in, now take these as put them to YouTube and just embed them on the website. Right. Wow. And that was, but uh, yeah, so we started doing video. And then at some point Rashad now is doing GG's live and he's just doing Jeep, going to GPs and broadcasting every round. And the Pro Tour is not. <laughs> Amazing. That is truly an incredible statement to hear. The Pro Tour just isn't. 
and does it for multiple years. Why? It's expensive. I mean, the real answer is it's very expensive. To do it on a bigger scale than to, Rashad to, to, was doing. To, right. Rashad would bring his kit to these events in his, like, checked baggage. Right? Like, yeah. you know, he would have, like, four suitcases and a giant backpack and, you know, and it had a million miles. So he could just check the, you know, all these bags. But, like, it wasn't, there was no flight case. But, yeah, and, you know, it was, it was big. and it was, But it was years before... Wizards would actually, you know, like adopt the BT. I, 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 yeah, I mean, just like give in to sort of the mounting chorus of just like, wait, why, why are we just reading yeah, text right. coverage for two we days? Have, we have and we would coverage. get the, you know, we'd get deck text and we'd get this video content, but it wasn't the same as just like, I want to watch John Finkel win his winning in in Kuala Lumpur, right? Like, right. I want to see that. That's yeah. an important moment. And we were we were not getting those moments, so um, so eventually that happened, and then you know coverage changed again, right? Because it wasn't just like one, you know now there's a rotation of, of of people who are going in and out of the booth. There's you know and that evolves, right? And then there's sideline reporters, and then there's people doing hands. You know, it's like oh wait, we can have this graphic where we report on what's in people's hands, and so now there's people doing that, and then people are shifting in and out of roles, right? I'm like oh I'm in the booth this round, I'm doing hand coverage that round, I'm doing I'm I'm on a break, I'm at the desk, uh, you know, yeah. so. Um, it evolved pretty quickly. And then through all of that, I was also doing a weekly column about competitive magic called The Week That Was, where I would both talk about the top players in the game and what they were doing, but also my focus, like my passion was always like, who are these up and coming players, right? Who are the people who are finishing ninth through 16th at the Pro Tour? Because to me, that was always a leading indicator of someone who was going to have future success. And then also, and also, um, talking to people who are qualifying for the pro tour right for the first time and getting their story and their decks and their things. So, uh, and then doing the hall of fame. Yeah. And that's where I come into the story. That's when I met you, when you were the coverage reporter, that was your gig. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the booth was not my strong suit. I, I mean, I think I was, I, I think I'm entertaining. I, I think I'm fine. I think there are people who are way better at it than I am. And I, I loved doing coverage, but the things that I loved were not grinding a hundred hours of standard to understand a matchup intimately. Right. And, um, there was always a wealth of people who were play by play and a dearth of people doing the color commentary. And I would fall into that color commentary role a lot. And I didn't love that. And I really loved, again, talking to people. I loved like doing the videos before the show where we'd go into people's playtest houses oh. and, you know, interviewing players, doing the, the interview, like the last event I covered, I got to do the interview with Autumn yeah. when they won the, with the tournament, which was just like, what a great event to go out on. I just want to touch on your skill as an interviewer very briefly before we move on, you know, because I think a lot of people think, you know, anybody can go up there and ask a Magic player a question, right? But I think something that was really special about you was you had this unique ability to connect with players in a way that I think is really rare, uh, uh, to connect with them where they're at. And I think it's just such a wonderful skill and a uh, benefit that you brought to the broadcast as a whole, because it was obvious that you cared about these players so much and you cared about their career trajectory in the game and who they were as human beings. And that came across to viewers in a really special way. Oh, yeah. Thank you. 
I, I uh, it's like about listening to people, right? Yeah. Like you, you do this all the time. You, you, you talk to people all the time. You have people on your show. It's just, what are the things that are interesting to them? What's going to be the thing that doesn't just get the road answer out of them? Right. You know, listening to something that they're passionate about or that they respond to. I mean, one of my, one of my favorite interview moments was interviewing Steve Rubin after he won the pro tour. Mm. And one of the things I hate when interviewers do is when people, they ask someone about them, they're like, so you just won the pro tour. Tell me about that misplay you made in round three. Oh where you really, God. right? And it's like this really common, like they're like, I just want to know about the time you screwed up. Right. And so like, Steve Rubin had a pretty big gaffe in the top eight. I don't remember the exact details of it now, right? But, um, and I'm like, I, I, I want to ask about it, but I'm not going to ask about it, right? And then Steve says something like, he's like, and you know, and I, I screwed up at that point, right? I mean, he's like, I made a mistake. I'm like, all right, well, let me ask you about that. How do you recover from that, right? Because like, I'd want to just crawl in a hole and die, yes. right? I got all these people are watching me. I'm playing on the top stage. I'm playing against the best players. And he screwed up and he's like, and he just gave me this fantastic answer, right? He's like, well, you know what I do when I play in a magic tournament? I give myself one big mistake. Hmm. I say, I'm going to get one big mistake. Everybody gets and, one. And and then I, I move on and I'm like, oh, that was my mistake. Tighten up. You know, whatever it is, right? And it was just like this cool moment. And it came out of listening to him and not being out of like, I want to I want to gotcha you about this mistake you made. Yeah. Because I didn't want to make the mistake. I didn't want to know about the mistake. I don't give a shit about the mistake. Sorry. Uh, I... <laughs> I, I, I cared about the 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 feelings he had. And feelings, there you hit on the word that I think is so, so important in interviews. Focus on the feelings. And yep. you guys you guys know this so well, right? Like yep. getting magic especially magic players have to put blinders on. Right. And they have to be like kind of like, I need to make the right play, I need to do the right thing, I need to focus on all these different things. It's really difficult to to let your feelings enter into it. But when you when you can get them to talk about that, that's always going to be where where things are be great. That's one of the things I loved about um, pandemic coverage was face cams and seeing people because players could actually just have emotional reactions at the table that they could never have at a live tournament. But it does feel like there has actually been a tonal shift for that since the pandemic of people getting used to playing tournaments online on Facecam. Because just looking at this last PT, the one we just did, we had multiple players moments after finishing their games just burst out of their chairs and start dancing across the stage, which in my opinion happened infrequently yes. in the past and now whether it is a mix of getting players that are primarily used to playing online whether it is the simon nielsen's the nathan stoyers the kane reinhardt's or whether it's just because we just spent three years almost playing from home we're getting players just showing emotions after the matches we're getting players you know they pull themselves together pretty quickly but there's that initial burst of emotion that i think all of us have always felt like has been lacking and missing in professional magic. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. So I, I think what I want to focus on now is looking at the pro tour we just did because we have Brian here and I want, I don't know how much of the pro tour you got to watch. Um, I, 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 I watched a little bit, not, not a ton. I was, I was in the hall playing magic. It was actually really funny. Vicariously, I was in the hall on Sunday. We were in that, 
Pro Tour room and doing like a chaos draft or whatever. And we would just hear like a roar of the crowd or look up and see someone high-fiving someone or hugging someone after a match. And I was like, I kept being like, Gavin, who won? And he's like, I, I don't know. I'm like, how do you not know? Don't you, isn't there like some alert you get on your phone? I'm like what? Yeah, so, there, there were definitely some match results because our TV in the back room is showing what the broadcast is showing, not what is happening live. So there were definitely some moments where we were watching a match, but based on the specific cheers we could hear from the other side of the curtain, we could try to deduce who, who had won, won the match yeah. that was just playing out. Yeah, it was very cool. It's, it's so funny doing coverage. Like, you end up looking at the event through a porthole at all times. Yeah. You don't see the, the whole sea of the event. It's, 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 I think people don't always realize that. People would always ask me, like, oh, what happened with so-and-so in that? Ma-? I don't know. I was in the booth covering, oh looking at a table. I don't know. Oh, my gosh, yes. It happens to me all the time. My friends will text me, and they're like, oh, did you see this awesome thing that just happened? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't. I'm already preparing for the next round. I'm totally out of it. We're just doing so much stuff at the news desk that we don't all the time get to live in the tournament as much as we would like to. So for anybody that didn't catch it, Nathan Stoyer. Wins again. Ridiculous. Second win in three professional events in a row, which is insane. Got a top eight in the middle in between there as well. Right? But the big story that you and I were talking about at the desk all weekend, team handshake, right? This team of younger players, not all young. They have players into the 30s. They have players we know before, Javier Dominguez. But generally younger players, and they, they dominated this event. They have been dominating for the better part of a year, but they dominated this event. First through fourth after Swiss, right? I I had heard that, but like... Just hearing it I, I heard that they dominated the top eight, but I didn't hear that order. Yeah. First through fourth. First right? through. There was first a, to put it into context, there was a draft pod on day two, which is the feature pod, first through eighth. And these four players were in that draft pod. And through that draft pod, they did not lose to anyone except each other. Wow. They had mm-hmm. two players that drew intentionally in the last round of the pod, which was its whole thing. But Javier went 2-1. He only lost to Nathan. Simon went 1-2. He only lost to Carl and Javier. So they only lost to each other That's in so the wild. course of a professional-level feature draft pod. They beat every other opponent. Incredible, right? But... Team domination. That That's what I really want to focus on. Because for us as coverage people, it's a story we have to tell. It's a job we have to do of how do we frame this? How do we tell the story? And I want to get your perspective on it because you were there. You were working coverage the last time we really saw team dominance like this, which for me would be Team Channel Fireball right. going back to 2011. Right. When, when you think about yeah teams that have dominated, you think about like Team CMU, Team YMG, which finished first, second, and third at Pro Tour New Orleans and extended. Right. Um, but to do it, you know, to, to sustain it over multiple events, you really look at Child Fireball and Luis. And w- what I think you have to ask when you, you know, in, in, in the seat you guys are in and, 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 and everyone else is in is what are they doing differently, right? It's, it's, it's yes, it's the players are great, right? But like there's plenty of teams of great players. What is it that allows them? What is it in their draft preparation? What is it in how they prepared for the event? What is it, you know, for Channel Fireball, when they started to dominate events, right? When you you had, you know, you, you look at Paris, uh, where they just were, you know, they had all the people in the top eight with the hot, with the Cobblade deck, deck, and then 
you know, had like, m- you know, multiple more people, you know, near the top of the standings. I think they, you know, had eight people, it seemed like in the top 16, it might, it might've only been seven, but, um, you know, and we, we dug into it and we figured, you know, oh, they're getting to these international locations two weeks ahead of time. Were people just not doing that? No, people had done that in the distant past, right? Like in the, in the early, you know, uh, late nineties to two thousands, there were some, and then, you know, there's this sort of brain drain of magic where people were playing poker and doing other things. And like the big team sort of, you know, dissolved. Um, but when, when Channel Fireball was doing this, yeah, no one was doing that. So they were taking a play test house. They were, um, you know, eating food locally. They were getting used to the area. They were getting used to the time zone and they were having meetings and they were applying rigor to their play testing. And they're like, okay, what did we learn today? And then, you know, and, and it's interesting, right? It's like the power of observation, right? Like, you know, we, we start talking about this and then, you know, also now suddenly everybody's doing, everybody's it. doing yeah. it and it becomes yeah. a thing. And by the way, it's also cool as hell. <laughs> right? Like you're Can't forget that part. You're, you're in a house in Barcelona, right, with some of your closest friends and some new people that you get to meet and you're you know, uh experiencing the country and you're you're like kicking ass at, you know, solving some format. Again, we talked I, I think on the other podcast about that idea of the possibility, you know. Right. And you know, you're like, yes, we're all gonna win this thing, we're gonna have the best deck. So um and and then you know that that edge began to get sanded down for Shadow Fireball, right? Obviously, they still had the best players, and they they still had an edge, but like they didn't have this like crazy edge that they had for multiple events, where they just you know r- ran away with things. So um, I, I'm wondering if just Team Handshake is really the first, because again, those the Channel Fireball guys are all sort of aged out of that kind of lifestyle. It's hard to do that with a family. It's hard to do that with a job. Um, you know, these guys are, are just maybe in a unique position to be able to do that. And people haven't picked up on it yet. So I'm wondering if that's a big tactical edge that they have. Well, from what I've spoken to them and their captain is David Inglis, which is, you know, surprising to some people because he's not the flashy player at the forefront of the team. Of course, that's Nathan, but David has been putting up incredible results. It, you know, quietly, but not so quiet. We are talking about it. He has been something like top 16 in the last five tournaments he's played. He's the highest ELO player in the world right now. Like it is absolutely incredible what David is accomplishing as well, but he's their captain and they do a lot of their testing online. And I think what is really happening is they're just doing it better. They're doing it more organized. They, keep the team size big but not too big not too small so they have enough people working on things and they're just doing it better and i know that i would love to observe their testing process for one of these pro tours because i really want to see what is happening 
in that testing team, in that Discord, in that process. I feel like, Bunny, that has to happen at the next show, right? You've got to go for that. I, I'm trying. I, <laughs> I, I've talked I've talked to David. Or I, okay. I'm trying. I mean, wouldn't it be so great to have a video showcasing what goes on in that testing house, which leads us into this other topic of, because you used to do that all the time, going into the testing houses, and then we'd see videos of that on the Pro Tour, which was amazing. Yeah, no, that would, that would be amazing. And I, again, I think you're going to see people trying to find out what team, you know, or you'll see some people spin off from the team and they'll start their own team and, you know, they'll try to do those practices. But I I think it also for a team like that to be successful um, goes back to what we were talking about, about doing interviews, which is listening, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of people, there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of egos. Um, we've seen plenty of super teams that have had, well, this will be a blind item. We won't name names here, right? <laughs> but, you know, you've seen definitely houses with super teams, even teams that had success at some point, and then maybe that success, you know, where they just wouldn't listen to the new players, right? And, like, wouldn't give those players a voice. Uh, and and you lose, you miss something there, right? Like, and, and, you know, I know it's more efficient to just sort of say, hey, we've been there, we've done that. But when you when you you, you, you aggregate all that information and you you... you uh, have a respectful process for listening to people. I think that also leads to success. So I'd be really curious to find out what the dynamics are there. Yeah, and there there clearly is respect, and there clearly is that listening because it's very easy for a player like Javier Dominguez, who is a world champion, testing with this group of relatively newer players. Again, right. not new, but relatively newer to the scene. For him to join Less this storied. team, right? For him to join this team and not be as open right. to the ideas being presented. So clearly if he identifies that they know what they're doing and he wants to be along for that ride and be a part and member of this team. And it's just really interesting to see that they are just that good. It is truly unreal, which uh, leads to the next big question we have about him. Like, can he do it again? The arena championship arena championship three is coming up. And he is qualified. Can he do it again? One of the harder tournaments to qualify for right now. What does the Arena Championship count as? Uh, so it's kind of part of its own thing. It feeds the okay. World Championship. It is Arena's professional circuit. The prize pool is incredible, like $200,000 okay. for 32 players. So it, the, pri the prize incentives are there. Uh, but it is, you know, it is a chunk of the professional circuit, but I don't think anybody knows how to classify it right. quite okay. yet. It doesn't count as a, it, it wouldn't count as a pro tour top eight. If he, if he made the top eight of that, uh, I, or a final I, day or whatever, that, whatever it, that it would count as now. a top finish by official wizards metrics. Okay. okay. But in the player's eyes, I don't know. Sure. You know, these, the players, the professional community, they have their own definitions of what is and isn't a top finish. And a lot of it is semantics. One of the really interesting things to me about Nate Stoyer's sort of rise is I think there was obviously a lot of attention, you know, getting a little inside baseball about how invites have changed, right? Sure. And so part of the reason to make invites more, you know, it's like, hey, I want Paulo at every tournament. I want Luis at every tournament. I want um, – because you want to, you know, Magic has this old thing, right, of trying to prove that it's a skill game, right? And right. so um, – and, and, and having these people who've – Proven to be those those big names, you want you want you want people to have that story. You want them to have that experience of playing against them. But you know, then you, you know you also see like maybe like oh some of some of the decks are clear. You know, you don't have every Hall of Famer coming to every event, um, and you see someone coming in and just like kicking butt and 
you know, succeeding time and time again like that, right? That's amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you, you know, you realize that there is this, this, uh, you know, conveyor belt of history for magic that just keeps, you know, it keeps moving. It keeps going and that there's, there are going to be new, um, superstars who come into the game. Okay, so now we've gone over, you know, Brian's career in Magic. We've talked about uh, Pro Tour March of the Machine and Nathan's big win. Where do you want to go now, Monty? Yeah, because, you know, I, I've i been talking to you about this, but since last night, since we wrapped up the show, about an hour, two hours after the show wrapped, I, I felt this wave of melancholy set in. And I've just been feeling this almost sense of, not mourning, but sadness for it being over. The show is done. We put everything into it. You and I worked around 14-hour days for three days in a row with multiple days of rehearsals before it, working extremely closely with you know our co-commentators in the booth, at the desk, as well as everybody in production. And then it's just done. And we separate, we go off to our own cities, and we don't communicate with many of them for as much as two, three months until the next event, which is Barcelona. And that's a lot of emotion to process in a short period of time. But it does feel like you are just losing all of that, at least temporarily. And I want to get a sense of whether... That is something that you have experienced, and what are your, what's your relationship with this? So, uh, you know, when I was doing coverage, for you know, we would see people twice a month. It was like it's like people oh, following fish. All right. Right. Sick, <laughs> sick brags, okay. You know, no, right. no, 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 but <laughs> following fish, yeah. But but it, but it was but it was weird, right? Like because. It also felt really hard to get off of. It, you know, it was like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to not come back. I don't want to not see my friends. Right. The train's going to keep on moving whether right. you're on it exactly. or not. Right. Exactly. It's like if, you know, um, you know, if you've ever seen Almost Famous, you know, like you know, people are like going from town to town, and you know, something, you know, like oh, if you don't show up or if you go to follow a different band, you know, so um, weird groupie analogy, but I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. but. For for me, the the feeling post show was always just like yeah. Again, I talked a little bit earlier about like this pu- anxiety I had around public speaking. Um, would would be just like feeling like so sanded down to my nerves mm-hmm. after a show. Yeah, right. Like so, like aware. You know, people are you know quick to correct things that you say that might be wrong, or you know what you're wearing, or you know, anything, um, which can be the only thing you hear sometimes. You can just feel, I, I would feel very like vulnerable, exposed, raw, and then alone, yeah. right? And then without my support system uh, uh, of people. So um, it was, I would, I would be a miserable person to be around. For you know, two to three months after no, two to three days after <laughs> after a show, um, you know, I was really I just I didn't also the sensory overload of the show right and the sensory overload of of, of seeing all these people that you care about and being invested in all these storylines and modulating your profanity filters so that you don't curse on air or whatever it is they don't want you to do. Um, but you know, like you, you're, you're, 
you're you're an exaggerated version of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're you can't just be talking, right? You have to be enthusiastic. You have to be speak strongly. You have to have opinions. You have to express stuff. Like because you're constantly walking that tightrope, like you said, right? Of things you can and can't say. You've got to remember absolutely everything correctly because if you don't, you're going to get eviscerated on the internet. You have to have amazing vocal diction, be a bigger version of yourself, like you said. You have to remember everything that's happened in the tournament, everything that's currently happening, and everything that's going to happen. And you're walking this high wire, and you're holding all of these things, balancing them on your head all at the same time. Doing that for five days straight with 14-plus hour days, when you're done with that, let me tell you, your muscles are going to be a little tight. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you had that experience where you're talking to someone? It can even be someone you know really well, and you're like, "And I'm here with," and you're like, "God damn it, I don't remember this person. Okay. I've 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 lost this person's name in just this jumble of information. That's and then you're like, "I'm just gonna step out on. I'm gonna step out off the roof, and I'm gonna just keep going because I'll, it'll come to me." I'll be like. Money to Moody. Hey, how you doing, Money? You know, like <laughs> Yeah, the the Thankfully, not on camera, <laughs> even though it's some card names, definitely. But oh, like, sure. Yeah, there was a moment this past that show. That green <laughs> removal spell is yeah. a really good one. Yeah, I was like, Atali Primal, what? And like, I couldn't read it on the screen. It was just a I little know, too I, far. I felt, I felt yeah, I was like, come on, please, please zoom in, please, right now. Now's <laughs> the time, now. But yeah, like, I had a moment backstage where I, I just, the name Dominguez just blanked from my mind I, and, I'm, and I'm just going like Javier uh, Javier <laughs> and I just I, I, I literally could not find the word and then like 30 seconds later just other people are talking about other stuff I just randomly yelled Dominguez <laughs> it's like a weird beach you have to make for yourself in your mind to succeed in a role like this because of the absolute cacophony of everything else that is going on inside your mind and inside your body, physiologically, honestly, you kind of just have to place yourself on this metaphor here, this sunny, beautiful beach while you're talking to people, while you're in front of the camera, while all of these planets orbit you, which is all of the stuff you're trying to keep out of your mind. But what is there? They're, they're not planets. There. They're death stars. Death stars. Yes. Thank you. These death stars are orbiting you, ready to take you down. But you still have to be on the beach, feeling the rays of that sunshine as if nothing is happening. As if you're not wired up to your ass with a microphone, with an IFB that goes in your ear with two to three people talking at you at the same time while you're trying to talk, while you're trying to listen to somebody, while people are watching you in the gallery and thousands of people are watching at home. And the second that you see one of those Death Stars or you see a shark in the water of your beach, you're done for. And that's when the name Dominguez vanishes, right? It's trying to keep yourself calm and on that beach without seeing the sharks. That's the best analogy I can give for it. I don't think the show's going anywhere past <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta ask you guys a question, um, just real quick. Like, all these, I mean, we would always joke back, you know, when I was doing coverage regularly about like, Master masterpiece cards or whatever, or variant art cards yeah. with weird. There are so many versions of so many cards. Has there been anything done to correct for that in the booth? Is there anything that's done like to to 
you know, is it because you get to see the cards that are in hand or ha, 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 give me, give me the inside baseball here. So it, it's tough for us. Yeah. It's less tough for us at the desk because we're always seeing images. So we're never dealing with cards on the board, right? right? That that doesn't really affect us. But for the booth, I know that at least one of the things that we've had added as of the last show, which was really the first paper pro tour back, is in addition to the hand spotters, we have somebody that is operating exclusively in the back, Caroline Party. She's operating the card viewer that pops up on the side of the screen between the two players. And she is watching the matches for this to input it. And it is either when cards are played or when uh, the casters refer to a card that isn't necessarily being played, but they're calling for sure. it or referring to it. So in that way, that is both helpful for the viewers, but also for the casters, because if a card is played and it's invoked despair, but they don't know it's invoked despair because it's some wonky border in half a second, that's, probably going to pop up and they're going right. to see it. And I think that's helped a lot in just helping relieve some of the problems that can pop up from there just being so many printings of right. individual cards. Well, here we are at the end of another show. It was fantastic. BDM, I have to ask you, moving forward, do you personally have any hopes for the future of coverage? Uh, you know, I would, I would love to see, you know, what we were just talking about. I would love to see more lifestyle content uh, around coverage. I would love to see more more videos. I would love to find out more about players. I loved a lot of the things that came out of the pandemic. So I loved the little things where players would record something about themselves and then they'd be like super cut up into oh, yeah. one little segment, yeah. right? I thought that was fantastic. And I, I don't know if they did. I, again, didn't watch that much this week. And I assume we haven't done any of that in the paper era. No. I would love to see that pulled. And I mean, again, that's stuff that the players can do as part of their player registration process, right? Like there's a way to do it where it's like, hey, and by the way, we need a little, we need you to answer these five questions on sure, uh, with your sure. phone, yeah. you know? Um, I would love to see more of that. I, I love getting to hear the players, see their voices. Uh, I love seeing the play testing process. I love seeing how the sausage is made, um, or in the case of play testing houses, how the sausage party is made. <laughs> um, you know, like... Uh, but, you know, really do do like, you know, more of what goes into the event than just looking down on a tabletop and watching people play. I, I like all of the stuff that surrounds it as well. Well, that is a wrap on MagicCon Minneapolis and Pro Tour March of the Machine. Money, did you have a good time? I had a great time. You were the best host, Maria. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of DadCast. You can follow me on Twitter at Miss Maria Pants, Brian David Marshall at Top 8 Games, and Monty Davuti at ZapGaze. You can ask us any questions you want to hear on a future episode of Desk After Dark. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. That was amazing. What a play. That's exactly what he needed. Ooh, is it getting hot in here or what? This is genius. He created another card on the stack. Oh, wow. He's been giving a good game. That trophy is up for grabs. Magic does not get better.